Hello and welcome to Kiwi Rider Podcast, New Zealand's premier motorcycling podcast made by Kiwi Riders for Kiwi Riders. My name's Ray Huron, flying solo this week. Thank you very much for joining us and bringing you the story of a rather spectacular motocrosser. Let's take a trip back to when Suzuki ruled the tracks. This story about the Suzuki RN400. Words by Shane Kelly. The story featured in Kiwi Rider magazine June 2020, Volume 2. Head to kiwirider.co.nz for more information, photos and specs. In the early 1970s, Suzuki turned its mighty resources to the world of motocross. The sport was already hugely popular in Europe and the Japanese company, in another classic win-on-Sunday, sell-on-Monday strategy, burst into the game with a team so potent it was simply unbeatable. They hired the world's best riders, putting Gastonera here, Joel Robert and Sylvain Gibbos on 250s and Roger De Costa and Garrett Walsnick in the open class on 400s. Robert, who holds claim to the title of the greatest ever natural rider, had already won three World 250cc class championships for CZ and would win another three for Suzuki with teammate Gibbers right behind. De Costa was already a top runner on CZs and would go on to collect five open class titles for Suzuki. Walsnick, his teammate, finished third in the 500cc World Championship between 1975 and 1979. Rahir would eventually win three World 125cc championships for Suzuki. Development of the all-conquering Suzuki Works bikes began in 1968 with the hiring of Oli Peterson. The collaboration produced the RH250, simply a class ahead of every other machine, especially with Robert on board. Suzuki then turned to creating the best open-class bike, and by 1971, the RN400 was on the tracks. It was a symphony of all that was good in motocross machinery. Light, fast, powerful, yet tractorable, and it had the best suspension available. Suzuki was prepared to spend whatever it took and advertised the cost of a bike at $15,000, when a stock TM motocrosser retailed around $900. In reality, the advertised price was probably a fraction of what the bike actually cost. They took billets of exotic material, aluminium, magnesium, titanium, added sand cast components and literally hand-built the bikes. Levers, pedals, triple clamps and other components were all milled to an absolute minimum thickness possible. Every part was minutely studied to find any way to save fractions of grams in weight. Of course, Suzuki wanted to win. But for the engineers, it was more than that. It was an opportunity to unleash the free thinking and creativity that they had dreamed about during their university days. Perhaps a clue to their psyche can be found in an interview in 2012 with Maseo Furusawa, the Japanese engineer who developed the Yamaha YZR M1 MotoGP bike. He was one of many Japanese who wanted to work in the aerospace industry, but with that activity banned in their country following World War II, he and his peers ended up in the motorcycle industry, where many of the principles were the same, he said. Providing the outlet for this frustrated talent was one of the reasons why the Japanese bike industry performed so well from 1950 onwards. Suzuki wanted motocrosses of unparalleled ability, light, stable at speed and over bumps, able to turn with plenty of traction and top-end speed. In short, 
They wanted the best motocrosses ever built, and the engineers responded. The RH250 was a full 16 kgs lighter than the competition bikes, and so dominant were the Suzukis of Robert and DaCosta that European manufacturers cried foul and complained to the UIM, the heavenly body of motorcycle racing. The UIM listened and introduced a minimum weight limit, ending the days of the ultralight work Suzukis. It was introduced right before the beginning of the 1973 season, forcing DaCosta to take radical steps to increase the weight of his RN73, such as filling the front down tube and crankcase with lead and replacing titanium fittings with steel. It ruined the bike's balance and handling and almost cost Roger the world title. Meanwhile, in the United States, a promoter called Edison Dye was organising professional motocross events as a way of selling Husqvarna's, the Swedish brand for which he had the dealership. His activities caused shockwaves around the globe. The spectacular sport had previously been largely confined to Europe, but now caught the imagination of the Americans, and as the world was spread by a new generation of colourful glossy magazines dedicated to the off-road market, its popularity simply exploded. On the other side of the world, New Zealand and Australia also felt the fallout from the potency of race wins, especially when they were related in some way to the bikes sitting on the showroom floors. In New Zealand, Coleman Suzuki looked at the success of the works bikes and lobbied the company, with whom they had a close relationship, to produce similar machinery for their local market. Showrooms were full of TM series motocross bikes. But while these were cosmetically similar to the lightweight machines used by the motocross rock stars, they were a very different proposition and uncompetitive in the expert classes. In late 1973 and early 1974, their requests were answered when Suzuki did a production run of works replicas for the New Zealand, Australian and English markets to be issued to selected riders. They weren't quite as trick as the European stars bikes, but they were still light years ahead of what everyone else was riding at the time. Among the noticeable differences were steel seat braces rather than aluminium, less use of exotic metal billets, thicker guards and different suspension. But the key components such as engines, frames, wheels, tanks and many smaller items were identical. Two RN400Ls came to Coleman Suzuki and were assigned to Ivan Miller and Peter Plowen to race. They were unbeatable simply in another class. With only 20 or 30 production RN400Ls built, and the works Grand Prix machines of DaCosta being crashed at the end of each season, this New Zealand RN is one of the few remaining, and it's fortuitous that the man assigned to be Miller's mechanic at the time, Russell Burling, was motivated to take on the project when it became available. There is no record of the route this machine took through life, but at some stage it arrived as a pile of parts at the home of the late Barry Sin, who planned to rebuild it. He scoured the world for genuine RN parts, which have been increasingly hard to find. Barry was killed in a motocross accident in 2006, after which the boxes of bits and pieces found their way to a Tauranga owner and then back to Russell Burling. In all respects, it was a homecoming, as the bike had originally been Burling's responsibility all those years ago. The RN arrived in New Zealand to huge excitement because clearly this was something special. 
the sandcast engine cases and wheel hubs, the milled alloy forks, the lightweight detailing like the exhaust pipe mounts, clutch actuator arm, gear lever and triple clamps all contributed to the elegant simplicity of a machine without a single unnecessary bolt or fitting. Russell Burling was an apprentice working in the Coleman Suzuki workshop when the Aryans arrived and he could see they had received a genuine clone of the top European equipment. They couldn't wait to fire it up or get it to the track in anger, and when they did, the fans also knew they were looking at the real thing. It caused a sensation, says Russell. We always had a lot of people just standing and staring at it. The RN400 weighed in at 90kgs, 17kgs lighter than the production TM400, and while the different Suzuki models looked the same at a casual glance, there was virtually nothing from the RN that could be swapped onto the TM. The performance difference between the two bikes was equally incomparable. With works bikes in their arsenal, the Coleman's needed the best riders, and their attention was drawn to a young New Zealander who was rapidly making a big name for himself in England, Ivan Miller. Miller had gone to England as a New Zealand and Australian champion. He took a low-key approach at first, but soon cleaned up at a race meeting on a bike belonging to an Aussie friend. My mate asked me if I wanted to ride because he didn't want to go out because it was too wet. I told him I couldn't, but he encouraged me to get dressed in his gear. I won all the races by a country mile. This guy had never won a race, Ivan remembers. The press got wind of how some unknown, riding under someone else's name, had shot everyone to pieces. The resulting publicity led to a certain level of notoriety. KTM took notice and before long, Miller had his first full works ride. He was later signed to ride for Bultaco as well. Miller had to start out in the junior classes and needed to accumulate enough points over six months before he could move up to expert. He scored sufficient points in just one day, but still had to wait out the six-month probation period. In Miller, the Coleman's had a rider who could do justice to their work spike. Their invitation to come to New Zealand and ride professionally for the Suzuki team was the start of a long association. In fact, Miller ended up riding the motocross season in both hemispheres for nine years. 18 summers in a row, to this day, he finds winters hard to take. Miller rode all three classes, 125, 250 and 400, but it was the big works bike that he recalls fondly, and no wonder after he won every race except his first in the 72-73 season and took out the open class championship for two seasons. Straight out of the crate, it was just beautiful, he recalls. The suspension and engine were really nice. It had good power and we didn't have to do anything except personalise the handlebars. The frame was all tricked up and the nuts and bolts were titanium. It had an aluminium tank and titanium handlebars. It was a very light bike and I could pick it up quite easily with just two hands. It was absolutely brilliant, far ahead of anything else at the time. I always liked the big bikes. The horsepower, no one could ride that quick and nothing could compete with us. Miller would ride the RN400L until it was superseded by the longer travel RM machines. In his early 20s, at the peak of his abilities, his constant riding maintained superb match fitness to complement his natural talent. He would typically compete in 120 races over the season in all three classes. I'd spend five months in New Zealand and Australia, fly out to Britain on Monday, Arrive on Wednesday and be back to riding again on Saturday, he says. We had a good thing going with Suzuki, and they were the top bike of the time. Ivan Miller had always been a natural rider. 
a talent discovered at age 13 by his brother when he insisted Ivan take a ride on his motocrosser. I wanted to be a rugby player, an all-black, but I went around the track quicker than my brother did, so he told me I should ride motocross. Miller took out New Zealand championships when he was 16, then the Australian champs. He was encouraged to take his talent to Europe by Tim Gibbies, who was riding for the Greaves team, and when he and when he was 18, Miller headed to the Northern Hemisphere. As a professional, he rode all over Europe, competed in the Trophy Des Nations and Motocross Des Nations for England. The team was third and fifth respectively, and rode Trans AMA in the US against big names of the day, including De Costa and Brad Lackey. Miller kept it up until 1983 when he felt burned out and tired of life in suitcases, hotel rooms and aircraft. He moved to England to settle down and live a normal life for the first time. Today he is happier out on the weekends on his Harley Davidson 1340 Dyna Lowrider, which he has also taken with him through France and down into Spain, where the weather is much more friendlier than England's. Peter Plowen is another person whom the work Spikes made a huge impression on. Having just finished his mechanics apprenticeship, he was employed by Coleman Suzuki, drafted into the motocross team, and handed a works RH250. When the RN400s arrived, he rode one of them as well. He would go on to win three 500cc championships and a 500tt championship. He remembers power and light weight so overwhelming, no other riders could get near them. The main opposition in those days were the Yamaha YZ360, but he also recalls having to wear a towel under his body belt to provide extra support around his middle because the six inches of travel had a habit of beating up his kidneys when the going got rough. They were bikes that encouraged me to adopt a silly riding style, and I tried to find the limits, he says. It had wild power. You had to fight your way around on the thing, but the power made up for it. I used to like to make the bike find its limits, whether it was wheel standing or sliding. I just kept pushing it. No one else had works bikes, and we were totally spoiled, although, I, although we didn't realise it at the time. With our work spikes, it was like taking candy from a baby compared with what everyone else was riding. Typical of the sort of riding for which Plowen became renowned was his jump from a big drop-off at the Woodville track near Wellington. Going too fast to stop, or even slow down, he launched off the top lip aboard the RN400 and landed after a long, dangerous flight. It gave me the biggest scare of my whole life, but when I landed safely, I thought all my birthdays had come at once. He laughs now. It was one hell of a machine. A hell of a machine it may have been, but when Suzuki unveiled the new generation RM370 in 1976, it was clear that they had learned a lot from the earlier bikes and incorporated it into the latest versions. The power was still there, developed from an engine that took advantage of the latest casting technology. Gone was the rough sandcast magnesium, replaced by light, thin aluminium cases. The biggest change was the suspension, which featured forward-mounted and laid-down shocks at the rear and long-travel forks. Suzuki learnt the suspension lesson the hard way from Mayako, which in Europe had stolen a march on competitors by moving the shocks up the swing arm and adding long-travel forks, giving their bikes several vital inches of extra travel. This made such a huge difference that Roger de Costa found his work's machinery instantly outclassed, so he did the same thing to his RN. Suzuki's new production RM series motocrosses incorporated all these lessons 
and were exceptionally good machines, something underscored by the fact they are still favourites for vintage motocross riding. For Russell Burling, this RN is a direct link to those seasons as a mechanic to Ivan Miller, and then joining the Suzuki factory team in Europe. He was unable to ride competitively after breaking his femur in a motocross crash, so became a mechanic instead. Coleman's assigned him to Miller's RN400. Burling also teamed up with Craig Coleman when the young rider was just 15, and within a year the young Kiwis were competing on the European circuit as part of the Suzuki factory team. Taken under the wing of the respected Gaston Rahir, Coleman rode the 125 class for two seasons and in 1980 was the first Kiwi to finish on the podium of a motocross Grand Prix, taking third in the Austrian GP. He was also on pole for the Finnish GP in 1980. Craig was still only 18 when he was third in Austria, says Berling. At the time, a dozen manufacturers were slugging it out in the furiously competitive 125 class and Coleman was highly competitive on the Suzuki. Russell remembers it as an exciting era, especially when the long travel suspension and water cooling revolutions came along. They were massive changes. Almost every week there were new parts and things from the factory to trial, he recalls. It was a neat experience, with Suzuki being the dominant force in motocross at the time, he says. When this RN400 came to New Zealand, Burling picked up the bike and got it running before spending the next few summers travelling around the country with Coleman's team. The RN ruled the roost, but with suspension travel of just 165mm front and 120mm rear, it was overtaken by the outstanding RM370 model and retired to the back of the Coleman's workshop. When Barry Sen got his hands on the bike, many of the important components were still intact. It's not possible to wind back the clock, but for motorcyclists, it is still possible to go back and grab a handful of the machinery they found exciting when they were younger. A genetic disposition to reconnect with the bikes of their youth, and who can blame Burling for choosing the RN. It was a true works bike from a time when Suzuki led the motocross world. Burling got most of the parts when he bought the Suzuki, certainly the important ones although they were in a terrible state. The alloy tank, seat, cast magnesium hubs, factory chrome molly frame, airbox, sandcast magnesium crankcases, crankshaft, gears, magnesium clutch basket and clutch plates. The carefully milled front brake and clutch levers, as well as the billet machined gear and rear brake levers and the rear brake torque arm were all intact. They were works of art and highlight Suzuki's no-holds-barred attitude to its works machines. The handlebars have been replaced by modern lightweight versions with a bend as close to the originals as possible. The search is still on for the original set, but they were higher and wider back then, and no modern bars have been found close to that configuration. The 82mm bore by 75mm stroke cylinder, standard piston and head are all new originals, and the VM36SCC 36mm Ken carburetor was also there. Burling suspects the unharmed expansion chamber was probably the last original Suzuki one left in the world. The lightweight chambers were always vulnerable beneath the engine and had to be replaced every race or two. With the RM series came a high pipe over the top of the engine and while this configuration drastically reduced damage to the pipe, it changed the nature of the bike. The RM's full flow pipe makes a big difference to the horsepower. It wasn't the best solution for off-road use but it made good power it's also why the engine sounds different because the pipe is so much longer in the chambers section, says Burling. The work's 18-inch rear rim was there, but the front was missing, so a standard 21-inch alloy rim was laced into the hub while the search continues for a work's part. 
The white plastic shields to protect the machined forks from stone damage were also missing, but Burling hopes to get some from a production run in Belgium. Holding it together is a collection of Suzuki titanium bolts he had left over from his days as a factory mechanic. They've been sitting around in the garage for 35 years, just waiting for this restoration product? Probably. It's one thing to have a machine in many pieces, another to have it completed and running. The knowledge and skills needed to assemble it and get it running are becoming rare. These were hand-built motorcycles, put together by experts. Burling handed the job to Alan Franklin of Coleman Suzuki in Auckland. Nothing fitted together very well, and it's lucky Alan had the knowledge and experience of the bike and the skills to be able to rebuild it. Otherwise, I don't think we would ever have got it going, says Burling. He has a great passion for this stuff. Just one of the tricky jobs was machining a five-speed gear cluster which combines some of the RM370 parts with others that had to be custom-made because there is nothing in the Suzuki parts catalogue to fit an RM. The result is a piece of the finest rideable sculpture from the groundbreaking era. Firing up the RM takes a firm boot, but from the moment of the first explosion of the ignition, from the magneto, there's nothing subtle about it. That huge carby, simple piston ports and long sweeping chamber combine to make around 45 horsepower, which is plenty in such a light bike. This is not a bike with a light switch power band combined with unrideable two-stroke rousheousness. With a deep soul-stirring howl from the unsilent stinger, the RN400 launches itself, riding a potent torque curve that maxes out at 6,500 RPM just 500 RPM short of max revs, with no vibration or other vices to spoil the sensation of utter speed. Even among the top 400cc motocrosses of the modern era, the RN400 will hold its own in straight line speed. But when it gets to bumpy bits, the modern machine with suspension travel seemingly measured in yards rather than inches will show the older RN the way. They rode differently in the old days, says Burling. The bikes had relatively short wheelbases, and the RN had a very short swing arm, so it's hard to keep the front wheel down. They would lift the front a lot more and steer with the throttle and rear wheel. The RN's suspension travel gives around 165mm up front and 120mm at the rear, and ground clearance is a modest 195mm. The forks are Suzuki Works, with the finely machined sliders and fork damper pistons fitted with dual fibre rings the leading technology of the day. On this machine, a pair of period Olin shocks have been added to the back end. Like the European works bikes, the RN has roller-bearing swing arm mounts in the frame to eliminate binding as the rear suspension moves. Despite being mounted in sexy, full-width sandcast magnesium hubs, the brakes were not powerful, and the 130x28mm single-leading shoe front and 150x28mm single-leading shoe rear took a while to slow the RN400 down when it was hauling ass. There were also problems with the alloy rear sprocket bolts working loose and cracking the magnesium hub. This was solved by lapping the bolts in like a valve on a four-stroke engine and going to Allen heads, which enabled the mechanics to get more torque on the bolts. What Suzuki gave its chosen riders in New Zealand was a blisteringly fast and smooth motocrosser that handled far better than its contemporaries. Importantly, the RN put its power to the ground effectively, and its super light weight meant the riders were able to maintain their fitness and speed for the duration of the race. 
The suspension of the day meant it was never going to be the greatest bike when the going got rough, but it was still way better than the competition. It may well be that character flaw saved this important, almost historic RN400. As soon as the mighty RM370 came along, the RN was uncompetitive and unwanted. It avoided a pitiful descent through inexperienced riders and mechanics, becoming rougher and more bodged with every race until its heritage was lost, the bike becoming worthless and eventually discarded. This is one of few to survive, but this has only been possible thanks to the skills and commitment of Messieurs Sen, Burling and Franklin. For all the photos of this spectacular looking motorcycle and full specs, check out Kiwi Rider Magazine, June 2020, Volume 2. If you want to get hold of us, feel free. We'd love to hear from you. Podcast at kiwirider.co.nz is the email address. We're also on Facebook and Instagram as well. We always love to have your input, good, bad, or indifferent. Don't forget to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, and share this podcast with a riding buddy of yours. That'd be great. We'd love you for that. And check out kiwirider.co.nz. Hit that subscribe button there for the latest magazine, absolutely free, twice a month to your inbox. Simple as that, I've been Ray, keep the rubber side down, throttle on, and we'll catch you in seven days time.